we working? We're good. Okay, awesome. Well, thank you uh, so much, Jonah. It was, was unplanned. I am here to preach, but kind of just want to say ditto, and we can go on to the next part of the service uh, after that. But uh, that was really great. Thank you, Jonah, for sharing, um, just thinking about how uh, God uses the word of our testimony to, uh, to give uh, just another glimpse of, of the gospel. So thanks so much for sharing this morning. Um, but uh, a good morning to everyone, and welcome again to Hiawatha Church, especially if you're a visitor or if you, this is your first couple of times here, um, if, uh, whether you're here for the 4th of July weekend, seeing family. Um, uh, my name is Chris Thompson. I am not uh, Chris Walker, the head pastor here. I am one of the elders here at Hiawatha, and um, at least um, once a year or so, uh, the non-vocational elders get a chance to preach. So in addition to working downstairs with the kids, uh, today is, is my turn to, uh, to do that. Um, and I'm excited to do that here today, and I realize I forgot my little... Clicker, hold on one second. Go to the next. That works here. Other direction. Okay. Um, and before going <clears throat> into that, a uh, little bit about myself. Uh, we have been a part of Hiawatha since uh, back in the beginning in 2006. So we're, as Spencer mentioned earlier, we're uh, nearing our 12-year birthday. Um, and so every year that, that ticks by, it's another <clears throat> reminder of God's faithfulness. Kind of a really cool story about um, where he's kind of guided our church, where he came from, and, and, and where we're going. Um, but we, uh, but my family uh, was, was part of that when we started. So my wife, Sarah, is up at the top left there. She is a, a very talented woman in so many ways, uh, wife and mother and um, entrepreneur and friend. <clears throat> she uh, has started a few businesses, one of which takes her around the world, called Picture Impact. And so uh, a couple years ago, we got to go to South Africa together to uh, be part of that work, and I got to tag along. Um, just got back from Haiti, um, thankfully before some of the things erupted there in the last few days, but uh, working with how to help orphanages better care for kids and really move away from that, that model, um, as well as just caring for vulnerable people. So there's a lot of uh, awesome work in there, so if you have questions about um, that uh, please ask because uh, it's a lot of cool stuff happening. I have three uh, amazing kids. It's Luke, Eloise, and Kate right there. One of the things that is a joy as a parent is getting to kind of embarrass them with choosing uh, pictures that maybe they, they wouldn't have chosen up there. But they're, they're a joy to, uh, <laughs> to have. Um, Luke is 17, almost 18. Uh, Eloise is 14, and Kate is 11. And they all go to Hope Academy in Minneapolis. That's a school where, uh, where I teach. It's a a Christian classical school uh, that is in the Phillips neighborhood that seeks to bring uh, that education to those who would not otherwise be able to afford it. And so we are uh, blessed to be part of that community as well and where we spend a lot of our, our time and, and energies too. <clears throat> and uh, I teach science there uh, to the high school. So pretty much all the sciences I try to figure out and explain to them uh, here. And we're really excited to have been part of Hiawatha 12 years ago and to see where it's going in the next 12 years as well. And so this summer as an elder team, we have been preaching through uh, big questions that people have sent to us. And so um, that initial slide there of big questions was, was one that has been uh, sent, a lot of questions, more than what we can kind of get in every single Sunday. And so um, there are a few on the theme, uh, different themes. So in the last few weeks, we've talked about the doctrine of hell, um, the choosing of Israel to be God's chosen people in the Old Testament, kind of where that fits in with uh, kind of today's view. Um, and last week, uh, Spencer uh, preached on the use of work in spreading the gospel. So these are all things that have been asked. And, um, and so while this isn't something we preach about from up here very often, there was a lot of questions related to the idea of wealth. And so today's big question is kind of uh, putting those together and we'll address different aspects of it, but really is how should we view wealth in the Christian life? What, what roles that have? What are some warnings that we see there? And um, then some other sub-questions that result uh, as of that, that too. 
Um, and I know that this can be uh, an uncomfortable issue, especially as a church. There's kind of a, a perception that sometimes people, actually not a perception, a reality of people not wanting to come to church because they're always talking about money and asking for it. That is, it's not the purpose of this right now, but it is something where the Bible addresses uh, even difficult questions, and this, this one is no different. So, um, so hopefully we can, we can get to some of those things and, uh, and even generate some more questions. If uh, something that you've, you've been thinking about it kind of gets brought up or maybe doesn't quite in here, please email me or grab me after the service. I'd love to talk about this um, and the other uh, pastors or elders as well because this is, it's important. Uh, the Bible addresses things in our life that uh, even if we're, we're not comfortable with them, that it, it, it gets to it. So let's, uh, let's talk about it even if, um, even if it's not the most comfortable thing. So in thinking through these questions that were asked, I want to take a look at it from a few different angles. Um, and the first being um, kind of the, the lens of wealth is a stumbling block. As a, as a hindrance to the gospel. So kind of uh, the before belief, before repentance, what, what's the role and, and what are the warnings about that um, in, that, in the, his church? And secondly, what does it look like in the life of the church? Of the, the body of Christ, where's wealth and riches, uh, kind of going using those phrases together, how does that uh, fit in? And how should we view that in light of the warnings that we, we do hear uh, about? And then kind of stemming from that, flowing from that, the life of the church is that the kind of the day-to-day questions about money, like what do we, what do, we do with that? How do we, um, uh, one that was asked a couple different places, like what do, you, what do you do when somebody asks for money on the side of the, the street? It may seem like kind of a cliche question, but I think that, um, again, we should, we should address those things and talk about them and see uh, where the gospel addresses it as well. So uh, looking at some of those, um, even if we can't get to all of them here today. Um, so let's get to the word and, and start off with one of the more commonly cited passages on this from Mark 10. Before we do, let me uh, pray quickly uh, as we uh, head into God's word. God, thank you for uh, the fact that you are a God that knows us and loves us, that you speak into our lives that through the word. Uh, uh, we read, in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh. So uh, you are, you've spoken these things into existence for our benefit and you have uh, used them to help edify us and to grow us as believers. So God, I pray that you would speak to us today through your word. Uh, that you would change us, and that you would uh, allow us to, uh, to become more like the image of your Son. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, Mark 10, 17 through 27, it's up here, and uh, I'm going to read it um, here as well. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, teacher, I have all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, you lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished and said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Um, 
And so this, the context of a bit of this is that there's been some other correcting and rebuking that Jesus has been doing. Um, and so they're, they're talking about this. This, this, uh, this interaction comes in the context of other conversations. And um, it's probably a very familiar one. This is, this is one, if you talked and asked somebody even outside of the church and not a lot of exposure to the Bible, would probably uh, reference this, something like this interaction with this person. This is not a parable. This is an actual uh, interaction, historical uh, event. And it sticks with us because um, the, both the, the nature of the message Jesus was an excellent teacher, and so using this analogy of a camel through the eye of a needle is a memorable one. So that analogy, as well as the, the, uh, the impossibility of this, this idea, and the fact that he's, he's really calling out somebody who's bringing something to him and asking a question, and he, and he calls them directly out. But let's look a little bit more closely at this exchange and some things that we may, might miss. So if we look again at the first, uh, starting at, at verse 23, I hope some things jump out at you. And one is that in this conversation, the young man claims in verse 20, uh, right there, he said, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And so hopefully as you, as you read that, there's a little bit of a light that goes off that says, um, maybe that's not 100% true. I mean, we, we don't, it doesn't say more here, but, but if, we're, if, you're, if you think of yourself, if this guy was thinking, like, I've done all these things. So again, he's honored his father and his mother. He's never committed adultery or stolen or borne false witness. Um, if you remember in the, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying that those things, it's not just about not doing those things. It's also the state of our heart and what we think. And so to, to claim that this was the case, th- there's already a bit of delusion happening in his, in his initial question. Because he's kind of saying and coming before Jesus and saying, here's what I have. Here's what I've done. Is there anything else? Have I, have I checked off all those things on my list? Or am I good? And, and so there, there doesn't, now Jesus doesn't address those all directly, but, but there should be some that kind of sets off that this is, not, this is not entirely true, that he's not done all these things. And he's trying to draw attention to the great things that he has done. The second part here that is, uh, that is really important in this um, is that in the response, so Jesus, he, he, he hears all these things, and Jesus is looking at him, this uh, right here, I don't know if this has a little pointy thing on it, but uh, the phrase loved him. That in all this, in all this kind of, telling what he has done and lifting himself up, right? There's other people there too that he's lifting up what he has done. Jesus loves him in that moment. And what does he do in his love, right? He loves perfectly and he sa- what he does is he speaks to him. He speaks to him, you lack one thing, sell all you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and then come follow me. So he, he gives him that thing that he knows is his biggest idol. He is showing him his biggest idolatry in order that he would, would hopefully address it, Okay? So wealth in this case is one of the many stumbling blo- blocks to belief that prevents us from seeing our need for Christ. So um, in John uh, 2.24, it says Jesus knows what is in the heart of man, and this is what we see here. So from this knowledge and for the love for this man, he gives him this commandment that we see earlier. Sell everything and give it away and follow me. Jesus knows this is the thing that would open him up to realize that he cannot earn his way to Jesus. That was how he loved him. He exposed the need that he has for for himself, for Christ. Now, his response is definitely a warning to us. It is a warning that, uh, that we, we don't know what ended up. There's no other uh, recorded uh, kind of what happened to this, to this rich young ruler. It is definitely implied that then he turned away and never, and never followed Christ. Well, we don't, I mean, it's, it's possible that later on in the church, as it started in, in Jerusalem and in Judea, that it could, he could have been one of the, the new believers. We don't know that. But uh, it's definitely left ambiguous because that this was this huge glaring stumbling block that Jesus wanted to point to to say, I'm, I'm going to kind of leave those things that I, I think are, that are probably also not, not done, but this is the one thing that you, you think you've got under control, and definitely you don't. 
Um, and after the, the man leaves, he then explains to the disciples about the difficulty of a rich man entering the kingdom of God with our cal- uh, camel analogy. The disciples, though, quickly realize that he's not just using this as a way to kind of poke at and get at the wealthy. They're, they're not always the ones following exactly what he puts down. He says, uh, he, he repeats himself again um, in verse 24. He says, the disciples were amazed at his words. So they're like, they don't get it. And then he says, kind of again, children. So like, okay, I got to put it down again to, to how you understand it. How difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And then he gives his analogy of, of the camel. And they recognize that it's not just about the wealthy. This isn't just, uh, if, if this, this young man who has seemingly done all these other works of the law, then um, has cannot be saved. Well, why can anybody be saved? Uh, another thing that comes to mind is in the greatest commandment in, in Mark 12 and others where Jesus says, what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And sometimes it's pointing to say that's, that's the gospel. Again, who, who among us does that? I, I certainly don't. I, I do not perfectly love the Lord my God as, uh, with all my heart and soul and mind. Like Nobody does those things. Those are, those are given as commandments to recognize, man, we cannot do that without Christ. And so he's doing the same thing. And the disciples realize that this is a preventing him from, uh, from entering the kingdom. So with God, though all things are possible, with man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. With God, that camel can go through the needle. The rich man can enter the kingdom of God. Just like an idolater or somebody who feels hatred for others or uh, any list of things that would prevent us, uh, God can turn those hearts and turn people that are hell-bent against him to becoming uh, believers, to repent and to believe. So I want to start here to recognize that there is indeed a strong warning here and elsewhere on the pitfalls of riches. We'll look more to that too, but um, we're also going to see that it's not the only way that humanity can fall short of the glory of God. Other parables speak about selfishness, jealousy, adultery, uh, covetousness, lack of faith, as ways in which we fall short of what God has called as our standard. So don't make the mistake of making this about another work to add to the list. Like, I've done all these things, I just need to give everything away, and then I'm good with God. That's, that's not what this is about, right? It's one side of the mirror that helps reflect a potential idol and sin that we need to watch out for and to be dealing with constantly as we fight the battle of faith throughout our lives. So as to salvation, then what this man was asking, Jesus identifies as an idol, a place where we seek things that only God can provide. Um, wealth is defined kind of in general as all material objects that have economic utility. It's a very kind of uh, heady definition, but things like money and investments, um, but even like education or opportunity is part of that as well. And um, really beyond that, it's, it's kind of a way to think about what we can do for ourselves, like we can kind of take care of ourselves. It's the idea that we have less to be anxious about, more time to do what we want, and security and some future date and some future calamity or, or uh, problem that might uh, come into effect. And it certainly does have that relationship. But um, ultimately, it really is about what God has, that God is in control of those things. Wealth can become a place in which we put trust that is due to God, and therefore, the amazing grace, uh, gift of grace that God has given us can lose its luster and its shine because these things that seemingly answer those questions can then uh, get in the way. The parable of the banquet in Luke 14 gets somewhat at this as well. I uh, won't read the, the entire leading up to it, but um, after speaking with the Pharisees again about what was lawful in the Sabbath and some of their kind of picky questions, he tells a story of a man who threw a great banquet. He um, says this, Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread in the kingdom of God. But then Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, 
Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. It's interesting because um, these first two kind of are connected with wealth, but the last one definitely is not, uh, is not connected with wealth. It's just a, a good thing. Like marriage is a good thing. And there's nothing wrong with, I don't think any of us are buying oxen, but whatever you want to put in there instead of oxen, uh, or, or to, to buy land or to buy something. These are not, these are not bad things, right? That, so wealth in and of itself is not the issue. What is it doing here? It is distracting them and it's, it's busying them with things that are not the feast that God has offered us in Christ. So in other words, they're, they're idols. So wealth and its pursuit is this big pitfall. In Jesus' words, this difficulty in coming to faith. Um, not, it's, it's impossible with man. It is possible with God. But it is a, it is a big warning. And uh, recognizing that we are utterly incapable of dealing with our sin problem. Um, a side note here, just to, I think it's worth, worth looking at, uh, the kind of diving into this question of, of wealth and what, what it does. There's, there's different answers as far as like, kind of secular research on this, but um, there has been a good deal that has pointed to something that I, I remembered from a kind of earlier conversations on this, is that in general, um, there, there's kind of a, um, I'll kind of put the graph up here and see where it comes from. So this is uh, an updated version of something. It's, it's kind of an odd graph. But what it's trying to show is that as income rises, we have this idea of like more money, more, more opportunities, that then our happiness will go up, however you measure that happiness or contentment. Um, and there is somewhat of a positive, uh, positive impact it's not as high as we might think, and this one's actually measuring it as a negative impact. But the idea is that it's, it's basically there's a little bit of like happiness increase as you get to a, a certain level of income, but then very quickly over that, it drops way down. In, in other words, is that in, in America, we kind of think that, and everywhere, is that, okay, more, more things, if I, even if I don't like love money per se, it has more opportunities, more things that I can do, more free time, whatever those things that we put in that list are, is that it, it really gets less and less valuable to us, even as measured not in any relation to the Bible, like people measuring this in people's responses to uh, questions, it really almost disappears at a certain point. Now you may say that, okay, gains disappear at $200,000. I'd love to, I'd be totally happy with that amount. But I would, I would challenge you is that I don't, I don't think that you would. Um, the, these things, the temptation is, the, the idol is that we, we ascribe to wealth and resources and opportunity, those things that should be ascribed to God. We, we worship and seek after those instead of Christ. And so um, th- there is, uh, there's other kind of ways to phrase this question, but there, there's a lot of research to say that, that really um, from the secular world, money does not buy happiness. It does not buy contentment and security that we're only supposed to have and find in Christ. Um, so these men, in our parable then, were distracted by this pursuit of good things. There was nothing inherently wrong with those things, but they were neglecting Christ. They were neglecting the banquet and the feast that he offered. And right now, if this is something that you are looking at and you're like, I, I don't really know this whole, this, this seems kind of, kind of weird and where am I with this, is that just recognize that all of us are in the point of where we can idolize this and many other things. So if you are not sure where you're at with, with Christ right now and you're not sure if you're a Christian, all it takes is repenting and recognizing that there are things that you're worshiping that are not Christ and to repent and believe that he has done everything for you and uh, to join a, a fellowship of believers that can remind you of this and to, to help you cling to it as well. Um, because the only answer to this kind of striving is the gospel. And, uh, and we'll, we'll see that here um, later as well. So the, the first part is, is just that wealth is a hindrance, can be a hindrance to the gospel. And so watch out. There, there's that warning. The second part of the question, though, that I think was um, uh, mentioned in a few of those that were brought in the big questions was, what about in the life of believers? What about as us as the church? 
um, those who have uh, confessed, believed, and, and been baptized? How do, we, how do we handle this in our church here uh, with some of those questions? And so, um, again, I think it's worthwhile to look at some, some data and kind of where, where we are um, here right now in our context. Because sometimes our tendency is to look at the rich young ruler or other characters like that and to say, that's not me. That's kind of, I struggle with this thing, but the, that, that, the wealthy, that's not me. That's, that's somebody else. Okay? And while I don't presume to know all of your tax incomes and what's on your tax sheets, I really don't want to know that information, um, the reality is that as Americans here, maybe particularly in the Twin Cities, um, we are among the quite wealthy, however you define that term. Um, and just a few things on there, uh, in terms of both raw income and assets, along with economic opportunity, right? Um, we are what sometimes is termed the 1%. So just a, a few things. If you make uh, more than $10 per day, an actual like, purchasing power, $10 per day, that puts you already in the top 20%, the top fifth of all income earners in the world. And if you think, how do people live on $10 a day? That's a great question. Um, it's, it's difficult. The, the expenses aren't much different. In fact, a lot of those places, it's actually a lot higher to get basic needs uh, than it is here. Like a gallon of gasoline in other places is oftentimes way more than it is here, and we have a lot more income to spend on it. So that, again, $10 per day, you're already in the top 20% of income around the world. Um, if you make around 50000 per year, and I think I found this uh, in the Twin Cities last year, the median income, which is like the middle data point for all incomes, is about 66000 per year. Um, so in that range, you are, you are literally in the 1% internationally of incomes, which is correct. Like I, was, I was surprised by that. I kind of, you kind of know America and, and the West is wealthier, but that's, the median value is a, is a good measure, maybe a little better than average. And that's, that's a pretty, um, that's, that's glaring to me in looking at that. And I say this not to downplay real economic difficulty. That's, that's not the purpose. Like I, like I said, I'm not looking at it. No, no, I don't want to know like, what, what you're making as income. But it, it's, a, it's a good place to begin is that this is not just something that's out there as a potential pitfall for Bill Gates, but this is something that, that we have to face here as well. Um, and so uh, to recognize that as we go into to seeing what, what God has to say to us about this. So as Christians then in this position, um, and, and one thing I, I kind of say to my students sometimes as we talk about all sorts of different things in science and development of technology is that we really do sit in 2018 now as kind of at this, I don't want to say like a pinnacle, there's a lot of things that, weren't, that aren't going so well, but in terms of like wealth, economic opportunity, and kind of the general day-to-day living and ease of living, we're, we're probably at one of the highest places physically in the world and throughout throughout time, like the history of humanity. It, like the ease of which we live and kind of the wealth in general is, is incredibly high. Like, and we, and I, I forget that daily. There's just things that we, we don't even really imagine until they're not there. Whether it's like, you know, it's a 95 degree day and you turn on the air conditioning, like that is just, just kind of assumed that it works, but vast majority of places that's not the case. And so we just recognize this, that's an aspect of our wealth that we don't even, we don't even see. So as Christians in, in this position, we have to look at the warnings and instructions offered in scripture to help guide our decisions and perspectives. So the first is idolatry that we looked at. Um, but then let's, let's see what the, this uh, mentioned, uh, Paul mentions this to us here in the church as well. So this is to a group of believers here um, in how to, to handle this. So, but those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So here Paul is writing to believers in the church on how to conduct themselves in this uh, real-life situations. His instruction is another warning call, restating really what we learned about the rich young ruler. The sin called out here, okay, the sin called out here then is for striving that 
uh, striving after that which is both ultimately unfulfilling and potentially damning and leading people astray. Uh, the word wandering and craving are ones that kind of jumped out uh, in this one here. So wandering is, is this kind of um, somewhat purposeless straying from where you, where you should be. So uh, every year we go to the Boundary Waters with uh, some guys from church. And so if, if you have not gone, uh, there's a women's trip too, so I'd highly encourage you to go. Um, and one year, this is now probably like five or six years ago, we were at a, at a campsite and we were, there was a kind of a, somewhat of a goal to like go to this different spot kind of behind where we were on this lake. Um, and we thought, well, for sure we can get there. And we just kind of wandering around and, and looking, kind of looking at some neat things, like, oh, this is kind of cool. And then, and all of a sudden, we, were, we found ourselves in a place where it didn't seem like that long. It literally was probably about five minutes, ten minutes maybe, of kind of going through the woods. And all of a sudden, we, it, it was for a second kind of freaked out. Like, I have no idea where I am. Like, I didn't, didn't have a compass, and uh, we were looking around. It's a bright day out. Like, it wasn't like it was a, you know, stormy, cloudy, foggy. You just, where am I right now? And uh, thankfully, we were able to kind of identify a marker that was kind of near our campsite to kind of look to in the distance and walk towards it. Um, but, but that moment of just kind of saying, I, I have no reference point to where I am, is, it, is an idea of, of wandering here that I, that I think uh, is apt for uh, the way wealth and riches are looked at. Is that This is something that without that initial maybe intentional, uh, I want to go this way and leave, where, leave the faith, it is this kind of wandering away after things that are, that are ultimately not going to fulfill us. Um, craving is uh, kind of another word that you think about like food and uh, craving for food and sometimes if you're like really hungry for something, whether it's in particular or hungry in general, it's easy to get distracted from what you are, if you have a different purpose in mind. If you're trying to get something done and you are hungry, that craving can really distract and drive you away from that which you're trying to do. So these, these are words that, that kind of I think are very meaningful and purposeful in telling us uh, the warning. Um, so the, the craving and pursuit of riches is the warning here, and it is a dire one. It, it, is, it is one where it is, it is warned. They've wandered away from the faith, the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So this is, this is something that as the church, as 2018, this is something, and especially maybe in our context here, that is a warning to us. And that said, it is clear that there are, there are people, God gives us different giftings. Um, some that are gifted in, not because of anything that is, you know, done uh, illegally or um, whatever, but it's just what, what the work that they're doing, they're gifted in, in uh, making money, and others are not. So don't fall into the snare of pursuing riches for their own, sna- own sake and promises that they cannot provide. Um, again, there's a, another mention in 1 Timothy 5, 17, 19. Um, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes in the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Here Paul is address- addressing those who are rich in the present age. So as a reference to wealth, they, they're, they're going to be there. Um, it's, it's, not, it's not assuming that, there is, it, that everybody is the exact same. But he reminds them that in this life, its wealth are fleeting and, un- and uncertain. In other words, the temptation to replace God, the riches of God in Christ, with the riches of the world, won't stop. This isn't like something that's, that, is, that was done in the first century. And we need reminders that our treasure is in Christ and the gift of wealth can be used generously within the body of Christ. So we have warnings then on the pitfalls of this. Uh, don't ignore it or think that you are beyond it. Um, it's not just for the uh, Jeff Bezos or Bill Gates of the world. And, and I say that because these are like names that are like, you know, incredibly, incredibly wealthy people who have made a lot of money. You could put lots of people up in that category. Um, and yes, it is a warning for them, for sure. I mean, 
hopefully they, they hear this in some, in some way, that they, they hear that message. But it also is for us. Whenever you find yourself thinking, this sin is that, Bible's talk, that the Bible's talking about is not about me. I, check yourself a bit. Ask, ask a close friend, ask somebody who, another believer to say, what, what, what might I be missing here? Um, because that, that is the, the case here with this, this passage on, on wealth. So it's not just for them. And yet we live in a place and time here that overall has much in the way of money and security, both individually and corporately. What then do we do? How do we recognize these dangers while living generously and trusting, not trusting in wealth to provide what only God can do? So um, uh, we talked about the fact that um, the, the warnings and that, that uh, those, those cravings are not just out there from other people, but they are in here. But the second is living in and amongst community of believers who know you and even some of them might know the details of your finances. Um, in Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, the author of Hebrews says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. This passage is not just about money and talking about wealth, um, but it's talking about one of the main purposes of the church. Okay? This is, is a, uh, it's again, a getting at what is, what is happening, what they see happening then, not neglecting to meet together. There is an intentional you, you, can't, you can't do this if you're just kind of gathering together once a month or every, every once in a while, but mean together um, and encouraging one another, okay? And stirring up one another to love and to good works. This isn't possible without a depth of connection um, that, it, that knows each other and that is even knows each other well enough and, and shows and demonstrates love to be able to ask hard questions or to bring up hard things with each other. Remember in the account of the young ruler, it was Jesus' love that prompted him to ask that question and to give him that commandment. Um, and also remember the idea of wandering. It's not purposeful. We, uh, nobody su- sets out to wander away just by, by saying, I, I want to go and I want to uh, abandon my love for Christ. Um, but these are things in which we can't always see. Uh, and I didn't want to go through like a list of like, whether it's church leaders or other things that, that, is, that has happened, and not just in terms of wealth, but many other things, but we need each other to remind ourselves of the gospel. Jonah was talking about that earlier um, in his testimony. It's not purposeful, intentional striving, but a slow movement away from that which truly satisfies. Deep Christian loving community is a means of the Spirit working on us and redirecting our loves and affections towards Christ. So community, authentic and real connection with other believers, going through the word and being involved in one another's lives, is the main practical way to address these types of questions. It is in this context to ask things about how to spend extra money that maybe you, you've found that you uh, have beyond what you've planned and to bring these things to God together to help direct your steps. Um, yeah. Uh, and finally, connected to the other two is remember that we, uh, remember and believe how generous God has been with us through Christ. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Romans 5, 8. That, that right there is the if you are ever kind of questioning that, is to, to go back and remind yourself of these things. This is what it means to be reminded of the gospel, is to look to God's word and to tell each other of that, to say, um, if, if you're craving after something, is remember what the gift we've been given in Christ. If this is the starting point and kind of the laser focus of our hope, then whether we are like Paul in wealthy abundance or in massive physical need, like in Philippians 4.12 kind of mentions that, uh, those two different states, we can give thanks and be generous. Uh, and beginning in the household of faith, but also into the world beyond. So uh, those two things. So Paul, Paul in Philippians 4 mentioning kind of in, in all things, whether in, in massive need or in, or in great wealth and comfort. Uh, and then uh, in Galatians talks about how to bless the, those in the house, household of faith. Um, and how to do that then, in what kind of uh, condition or context, is to give cheerfully. 
Okay, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This cheerfulness and giving of ourselves and our wealth comes from the recognition and the reality of the gospel. What do we have that we have not been given? The reality is that in Christ and his work on the cross that we were given all things that we were completely unable to earn. If we begin from that point, it is easy to cheerfully give. And this kind of goes both directions. Um, some know we, we were missionaries in Haiti for a short period of time, and, and as part of that process, we're uh, raising supports from people. And, and one of, uh, for me, I think for, for both of us as we did that, that, is, that was, was hard, but a huge like, growth and really kind of eye-opener in the gospel is that there's this idea that as we were asking people for it to support us financially, you know, giving money every month to, to support our mission there, is that we were, we were kind of like wrenching something from somebody's hands. And the recognition of, of this here, that, that we, we have not, we've, what do we have that we've not been given? So whether I'm a, a teacher, or you're a lawyer, or you're a, a carpenter, whatever that you do in those resources, God's given them to all of us. So whether, just because uh, I'm getting, you know, as missionaries, we're getting like direct deposits from people's bank accounts, it was no different than if I'm getting uh, paid by my job or getting paid by your job. So this is, this is kind of a, a, was a huge turning point for me to recognize that, that all this is God's. Right? And that if we start with the point he's given us everything in Christ, well then it's going to become much easier to, to do exactly this. Is that wherever he has uh, gu- uh, guided us to give is that we are able to do that cheerfully, knowing what he's done for us. So this again is where I believe some of the original question uh, that, were, that were sent in come from, in that assuming that we, um, we know this, that, that there is a potential real uh, damage uh, of money as an idol. And there's also that we are already in a community of believers. So assuming those two things are true, well then what uh, what do we do with that privilege that we have? And where do we put these resources um, that are, uh, are there? Um, and first, again, I would, I would say look to the needs of your community. I mean, God has placed us here at Hiawatha Church. Um, again, if you're a visitor, if you're not, not part of a church that's, uh, that's not directed at you, but just saying that if you're a part of this community, this is your home, you're a member or a regular attender, um, that we are called to give financially and in our other resources to our church here. This is both of uh, uh, the wherever you might call yourself a ch- as church home. Um, but it also looks like staying connected to the people that are in your body and making uh, the needs known that are there, even if they are financial. Uh, it's not just financial, but that, that, is, that is the case. Um, this can be difficult, I know. Um, and we, we fall into the temptation that we might be um, you know, not wanting to share these things as they become known but, or feel prideful that we've got things under control. Uh, in reality, all this is from God, the needs and the resources to meet those needs. He gives us one another to support and love in all ways, sometimes including finances. Ask for eyes to see how this could be used right here at Hiawatha. Um, but it is also appropriate, I believe, to ask what about resources outside of our doors here at, uh, at Hiawatha Church? When and how is it appropriate to give our resources there? Again, of any type, not just necessarily finances, but looking at those. And, and Paul addresses this um, in 2 Corinthians. Um, he, he mentioned this here in 8, to, uh, 8 12 to 15 case. Oops, there we go. Um, Yeah, so, for if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what the person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. The context, a bit of this, is that Paul is seeking to to, uh, follow up with uh, a gathering of resources, financial resources, from a church in Corinth to benefit the church in Jerusalem. In other words, a church that was 
physically distant from Jerusalem, was involved financially. So the Corinthians were giving to, uh, as a, an offering to the church in Jerusalem that were that less well off. And this is where I think I would, I would put somewhat the church in America compared uh, to the, broadly the developed world. We simply have more resources and should be looking for ways to maximize its use to spread the gospel. This is one of the, the reasons that we, we do give to missionaries. There's three families that we um, support here as a church financially in other ways. We just had the Zeals uh, with us for uh, a few months. The Shallers are coming here um, in, the next, uh, in the next week. They'll be around, uh, missionaries in France. We have the De Bruins in Germany um, as tangible ways to be involved in using those resources in, in ways that many countries simply cannot do. Um, mention, you know, we look at where missionaries are sent. America's not the only country that sends missionaries like that, but it's, it's difficult to, to support that level of work from other places where the amount of income is so much lower. They do it, and actually they do it in a, in a, greater, in a great sacrificial way, but it's, it's hard, that the level of, of work that we can do. So that, that is one way. It's one, one way that we see that as, as being applied. Um, secondly, we were, uh, just recently, I, I uh, remember this from a month ago, um, Chris uh, had a blog post about something called the Timothy Initiative. Um, this is an organization that plants churches in areas of Nepal and India by providing uh, leadership development and pastoral training and coaching. Um, and uh, it's, a, it's a chunk of money to be able to get them started and to uh, really best utilize the resources that we have here to do something that, that, that if we were to, you know, raise money and send me there, I'd be much less effective at reaching a, a, a tribe in northern India than somebody that is, that is born and raised there. So this is a way that we can use what God has given us to further his church around the world. And viewing it in this way, it should also re- make that there's, there's a mutual be- uh, beneficial interaction. It's not, it's not that we're the, you know, the ones in control and just have everything, and so we want to dictate all of that, but it's, it's that there's a mutual benefit. We get to take part in the, the sharing of the gospel and the planning of a church in a country that most of us will never go to. That's amazing. That, that, is, that is a huge gift uh, to me and, and to us as a church. And so we see it in that way as opposed to just saying, oh, I'm going to reluctantly give my you know, $500 or whatever to this thing because it's mine. That's, that's the, the exact uh, wrong way of doing it. And, and so God provides all the needs, uh, and he provides a way to meet those needs as well. And also remember that, that uh, again, through the scope of history, I love looking at history and kind of seeing where we've come from. I would encourage you to do that when you, when you try to understand, like, uh, issues of, of wealth and poverty and, and around the world. Like it, it is, we, we stand here right now in 2018 kind of at the, this whole series of events that, that we had no control over. Again, this was something that, that it was kind of, uh, it was really eye-opening and living in, in Haiti is recognizing that these things of like, how, how was I able to do all these things like turn on my lights and they always worked and I could go to the gas station and buy, buy food that would be relatively inexpensive. All those things I have zero control over. We have zero control over. But God has given us all those things. So what are we going to do with that gift is what we are, are called to look at. And, uh, and they're, they're good questions. And they're not always easy ones, but we have some frameworks to deal with that. And it, there is another cultural element for us as Americans that we can sometimes forget. Um, in addition to kind of overall wealth, we do have uh, kind of an individualistic mindset when it comes to success and finances. Kind of the, the American dream, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps idea. Um, this, I was also talking about uh, with a friend of mine who is... Um, Haitian-American, and uh, we were talking a bit about, we weren't even, I wasn't talking about the sermon, we were just talking about life and how things were going, and some of his struggles as he kind of uh, learns a bit more about his, his Haitian heritage and, and kind of visiting there this, in the last year, and he was saying that, um, you know, and talking about money, he was, he was saying, you know, if, and again, unprompted, he said, you know, if, if I have $500 that I'm saving, I'm saving for school, like my textbooks in the year, but my brother, um, you know, needs this for a hospital visit, well, I'm going to give it to him. And, and I thought, like, that, that right there kind of summarizes some of the, the difficulties in, of, like, cross-cultural, like, giving and, and all the, the kind of challenging questions. Um, but, but that is very common 
uh, around the world. Is that, and not say that we don't meet needs here, but we simply have more things to do that with and kind of a, a greater safety net. And you put this in places in that don't have any of those things and you have much higher expenses, you just have a lot more, there's a lot more need that is out there. Um, and so, and you have a different way of looking at it. Um, and it really there is, and we experience this as well uh, with our, our friend in, uh, named, named Maxo who uh, had, for his context, a lot of resources and was constantly seeing needs and providing them in his community because they were so great. And it was just, it wasn't really a thinking process of saying, I'm going to, you know, save this for my, my retirement. It's not bad to save for retirement, but the, these kind of worldviews do come into, into to sometimes conflict or at least some difficulty. So we have to recognize those kinds of questions when we look at how do we best um, answer those. And so again, our community provides us a way to talk through those, those that have kind of have an understanding of those differences and, and how to uh, make use of the, the um, resources God has given us. And we shouldn't always assume that our way as, a, as Americans is the most desirable or the best, most godly way. Um, we, should, we should ask the hard questions. Um, and and th- in, in a context that the, of loving community that knows us and knows our intentions and what we want to do. Um, so as, as we, uh, we see that wealth, we, we want to recognize that it's not going to save us, but it also won't save the financially poor. Like, th- don't go the other way to say that we need to then, you know, raise this amount of money for X, Y, and Z, because that doesn't save us either. It doesn't save them. If God has given you resources and the ability, then take the time to ask good questions as what, uh, what is a good way to do this and what is maybe a more harmful way to do this. Uh, look again to your brothers and sisters in Christ that have gone before you. Um, so the question of like, should I give to somebody on the, on the side of the street? Uh, we have talked, I've talked with a number of people, Christians, on all different aspects of, of how to do this, and how to do it well and how to do it poorly. Uh, it's not an easy answer to, to give on that. Um, but one, one way that's kind of uh, come out of that is, is to recognize there, there, there could very well be a need. There could also very well be a, a, a supporting of dependency and of addiction. How do, you, how do you sort through that? Well, you have a relationship. And so um, one of the things is to maybe build one with places like uh, community emergency services or other organizations that are faith-based, that are helping people meet a physical need, but recognizing that that's ultimately a, a kind of an emblematic of their spiritual need. So find out what they're doing. What are, what are ways they've addressed this question? Or the people here in our, our body as well. Um, there are many resources on how to do this. Um, and there are many people right here that can help us with that as well. So whether you're interested in, and God has given you a passion for uh, human trafficking or in clean water or in education and, and growing that or in church planning or all these different things, uh, there are people that have gone before and recognized some of those pitfalls and can, can help you take those resources and put them in a way that they're going to be um, utilized, utilized well. And so these, these are, uh, this isn't like a, you know, 10 step, here's the answer to all, the, all these things, but how do you do that? You, you begin with, um, a recognition of the fact that we, we all have a temptation to worship and to idolize money and resources and comfort. And so with that recognition, seeing all of God's gifts and then uh, answering those tricky questions with each other in prayer and in community um, here. And so, um, uh, got up there twice. Um, so do it with intentionality and with purpose. Um, I'm going to end with uh, Hebrews 13, 5 to 6, I think is, is a nice um, kind of ending thought to this here. Uh, the author says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember that in the gospel, we have all that we need now and for eternity through Christ's sacrifice. The more we cling to that truth, the more we, we point to the cross and we, we recognize that and we, we strive after it, we see it as the, the uh, immense and great and immeasurable gift that it is, 
the more that we'll see money and the resources, the physical resources, whether it be finances or otherwise, as simply a, a gift from God and as a tool to be used for his work. Then those questions of where do we give and how much and those which are important, those questions are important, will take a peripheral place in our faith and to recognize that ultimately that is the most important thing that we gaze upon. So let's do the work of belief and stand in awe of what Christ has done for us and then give to his church and where he leads us as an outflowing of his love and grace, not as someone that earns us his favor. Please pray with me. God, we thank you so much for uh, the opportunity that we have um, to, to be here. We pray that uh, you would bless this uh, body of believers and those that are here that are visiting. Um, God, help us to recognize our need for you and, and to see uh, money and wealth as a, as a pitfall and also as a, a gift that can be used to spread the gospel and for your glory. Um, God, I pray that you would uh, encourage this, these people here today, that you would uh, call anyone here um, who is not believe into belief and that you would uh, encourage us all in the, in the blessing and the, the immeasurable gift you've given us through Christ. I thank you and we lift up all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand as we respond together with this last song.